Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, Giles Gale, Theo Chapsalis, and Jan Navruzzi. Before getting into today's discussion, I just want to quickly remind you to hit the subscribe button so you can listen to all our latest episodes as soon as they're available. All right, Theo, I'm going straight in with you because we've had a very exciting, well, very exciting few weeks in the UK, but I guess this was the kind of main event this week with the Bank of England. Um, We had the call for no hike, which was going against market pricing, which was 100% price for a 15-bit hike today. uh, And the Bank of England did not hike. So good day to be a UK rate strategist at NatWest Markets. What was their rationale for not hiking, given that it felt like, uh, you know, Bank of England MPC members had kind of talked the market into believing that a hike was coming. Sure, I mean, thank you for the compliment. Um, I would I would rephrase it a good day to be um, you know supporting or to be covering the UK market at NatWest. Uh, either that's my colleague Ross Walker or me, because it's it's something that uh, we do a lot together. So I think the the rationale for not delivering the hike is really one, what is going on with inflation and inflation is seen largely by the BOE to be transitory. And this is important. And and transitory does not mean necessarily one month or two. The BOE made a clear case that if inflation is higher in the one or two year horizon, well, this is still transitory. Policy is being delivered in order to steer expectations in the two to three year horizon. So this is one, one reason. The other reason, is really related to the labor market. And when we look at at the data, well, the the BOE, they feel the need to receive more information um, before delivering a hike. So they said that hikes are coming and we don't disagree. We actually think that hikes indeed will come, Um, but it's a question of time. And clearly the time is not now. Um, I think the other other reason is really that, uh, you know, the BOE that didn't feel that um, well that the the the, the risk reward that the risks are indeed uh, favoring a, a hike right now, and they mentioned that the need to hike needs to be very um, very closely, very carefully assessed, um, as it will have implications with regards to the labor market. And the BOE they're definitely concerned of over hiking, so this is the other very important point, and. It tells us that the BOE, they've looked at also other forward rates. uh, And at some point, by the way, um, some of the forward rates were pricing a bank rate of one and a half percent in the two year horizon. So there's been a lot of optimism. And I think that the BOE, they were uncomfortable with that pricing. So there are different reasons, but mostly they relate to the transitory nature of inflation, to their view on the labor market, and, you know, the timing. So talking about timing, then you say we, you know, we do think that rate hikes are coming. Um, Can you kind of, I guess, put some context around that? When do you think they're coming and and how much do you think is coming? Yeah, sure. I mean, first of all, we don't think that a rate hike will be delivered this year. This is why um, heading into the meeting, we've been saying that um, the market where they price this December meeting, where they price this Sonia rates, well, that looks uh, high to us. Now, next year at the February meeting, yeah, we do expect a 25 basis point hike uh, at that meeting, uh, followed by another 25 basis point hike 
uh, at the May meeting, and then another 25 basis point in November. So hikes are coming. Um, the BOE, they will have to deliver some form of policy accommodation, uh, sorry, not accommodation, uh, you know, to remove some of the policy accommodation that they delivered, um, but it is really quite later. And this has got obviously implications, um, especially the hike, if it is the first hike, if it is pushed to February, it means that the bond that matures uh, in March, that that bond will be reinvested. And this, this is one really hot topic, right? So we think hikes are coming, three hikes next year, 15 basis point the first and the other being 25. By the way, the members, the two members that voted for a hike today, they voted for a 15 basis point hike. So even those really very hawkish members, Saunders and Ramsden, well, all that they've called for is 15 basis point, not 40 basis point. So this is also why we see 15 basis point hike in February and then two 25 basis point hikes later in the year. We've got so used to talking about um, accommodation that it feels weird to be talking about tightening all of a sudden. Um, so I guess then just, just to wrap up the BOE discussion, I would just want to know what implications you think this has for markets. You know, you've, you've for a couple of weeks now had on this kind of cross-market trade to so being long gilts, being long the UK versus the US and Europe. Obviously, that's done well today. Do you think there's still further to go in that trade? Yeah, absolutely. So guild strength has been a theme of us, and as you've correctly alluded to, um, this th this is really where we see some potential. I mean, we've been sitting on the fence with regards to um, the level of rates, uh, you know, and uh, well, we don't think that there is much potential in terms of uh, absolute level, um, but we think that there is a very specific uh, UK story here. And this relates very much to NetDBO1. And NetDBO1, well, after November, it is falling because uh, let's not forget what uh, what happened, uh, you know, on the 27th of October uh, with the budget, right? So less guilt issuance in general, less guilt issuance until the end of March. Now, what it means as well, so what we got from today is that, you know, if we get those reinvestments, um, this 28 billion being reinvested, some of that will take place in March. Some of that will take place, um, you know, in April. Um, and well, depending on the pace, uh, you know, so we do, we will have very supportive reinvestment flows um, across guilds. And this is, this is something that reinforces the asset class. Also, if we think about it, as we said to the year end, the risking activity is likely to pick up. So, um, you know, risky assets are at very elevated levels, equities and the switch out of equities into fixed income looks particularly attractive. Now, well, that switching will not happen at the front of the curve, but it will happen at, you know, longer maturities. So this flow will definitely support UK duration. And this will be felt, well, both in terms of curve. So this can support uh, some flattening, say, for example, in terms of 30s. But uh, the way that we uh, like uh, expressing it is really the cross-market view, because we think that, the 10-year sector, for example, this is a sector where you have liquidity and then you can have, you know, uh, guilds um, being stronger than fixed income in other geographies. The Bank of England wasn't the only central bank in town this week. Uh, we had the Fed too, although it seems like it's been a little bit overshadowed by today's events, but we haven't forgotten it. So Jan, um, what did we learn yesterday? They obviously announced the taper as expected. Were there any kind of surprise elements or market moving elements or just kind of interesting points that, that you want to kind of give your takeaway on? 
Yeah, so two really main things around this, uh, around yesterday's Fed meeting, which, like you said, looking at the market moves is pretty much overshadowed by what's happening the, in the UK, but it's dragging US markets uh, higher, uh, lowering yields as well. But two really main things that I would stress from uh, yesterday's meeting. The first was on taper, as expected, and it was pretty much very you know, clearly communicated. Taper has been announced uh, exactly at the pace we're expecting, 15 billion a month of reductions. So that's what 10 billion in treasuries, 5 billion in MBS. Um, we know that they're going to start from the mid-November uh, announcement for you know, the asset purchases. But interestingly, they also gave us a target for a purchase target for December, but nothing beyond for December with the same pace. We are supposed to assume an automatic kind of monthly reduction. They have the flexibility to adjust, of course, but for now it's on a monthly basis. But it was interesting they didn't give anything past December. It just uh, they don't want to pre-commit to anything, uh, anything in next year, which makes next a uh, the December meeting more interesting and b gives them room to speed up if necessary or slow down. But looking at the you know kind of like the macro environment, it's it, you know risks towards increasing the pace are, are higher. So what does that mean? Well, the narrative that the Fed was trying to kind of provide to the market earlier, which was do not associate the end of tapering with uh, timing for liftoff is sort of gone. Um, now markets will, by definition, it probably is the number one uh, item on the dashboard if we want to measure when the first hike will be is the end of taper. And if we get a message that they speed up, uh, let's say in the December meeting, their plan for January is to go a little bit faster, then we definitely uh, will, markets will definitely price in even earlier hikes, you know, pull them, uh, pull them to like a little bit earlier than who knows, maybe even mid 2022. Uh, so that, that whole don't rely on end of taper as the timeline for hiking is gone. And but otherwise, the details were pretty much as expected, nothing really that caught markets off guard with respect to the, you know, the details of the announcement. The other thing was the language around inflation, which is what I really think drove the market action. And what we got there was tiny subtle changes uh, in, the, in the statements uh, saying inflation is elevated, largely reflecting factors that are expected to be transitory. I think that is sort of consistent with the messaging that they, that they gave us before you know, the messaging that we've been receiving from uh, both Chairman Powell and other officials before we entered the blackout period for this meeting, sort of like inflation is transitory, but uncertainties are higher. We can't, we know it's going to go away, but now we have a wider band of uh, uncertainty around um, who, how quickly that's going to happen. So that was reflected in the, in the policy statement. It's a small change, but not, uh, not something markets ignored. And uh, on the back of that, the, the, the long end sold off and the curve steepened. Um, other than that, the press conference was didn't have that many fireworks. Chairman Powell kept it pretty vague. You know, he got asked questions on, do you think the rate, uh, the hike pricing for next year is right? Not really much on that. Uh, on things like, is the Fed going to speed up tapering or slow down? Uh, he said that you know, they don't, they can do both. There's no really answer right now. On inflation, he said it's driven by bottlenecks. Uh, but risks are skewed to higher. So, so nothing there. But one interesting thing from the press conference was his timeline for when they think inflation would subside uh, or show signs of subsiding was Q2, Q3 uh, in next year. So that sort of gives an unofficial run, uh, runway to the Fed to you know, claim transitory has won or it hasn't, which also happens to end 
by the time the taper is ending. So, so now I think markets should should be looking for earliest hikes in Q3, Q3, as they are. Uh, what uh, kind of Chairman Powell made that official. As a reminder, our first hike is in Q4 next year, and then we see four more in 2023. So those were my main takeaways from the Fed. It was not really an overly dovish meeting, but it certainly wasn't anything to the extent of what we got from other central banks like Bank of Canada or the RBA. Yeah, it certainly feels like the Fed has been the, the least eventful, <laughs> which is surprising when you think that, that they announced their taper, but compared to the other actions that we've had this week. So, well, that was a fairly complete roundup, I would say, of, of the Fed's actions. But yesterday, we also had the refunding announcement, um, which we talked about on the pod last week. Um, sorry, I should say we're recording this on Thursday, so yesterday being Wednesday um, for us. Um, was there any kind of surprises in that or um, was that pretty much as you expected with the reduction in the coupon issuance? So slight surprises where, where we didn't, where it didn't meet our expectations were in the reductions in, in 10s and, and 20s. And I got to say, size-wise, the overall package that was delivered is exactly uh, kind of what we had penciled in, $84 billion for the November-January period. Sorry, $84 billion less in issuance for the November-January period compared to the the three months prior, uh, but what was out of what was kind of different than what we expected is we got a little more cuts in the twenties, four billion, and a little less in tens, two billion. We expected both to be at three billion, um, and also tips increase increases in auction size for tips will be halted for now. Treasury will reevaluate that down the line. For twenties, it, it does make sense. Uh, that was a recommendation going into uh, before the announcement. Uh, Four billion is is we thought it was slightly larger than uh, what we expected as far as cuts go because they might eventually have to you know, stop the cutting, stop cutting the lines, and not you know while the rest of the uh, while the rest of the tenors are being reduced, just because otherwise the auction size will dwindle to uh, to like a, a very small amount. And for the for the tens, it's understandable. It's not really, I wouldn't say it was like a massive shocker, any of those. Like we were on the probably lower end of the expectations for 20s. That being said, 20s did outperform uh, the surrounding part of the parts of the curve after the announcement. And as far as tips go, we just kind of assumed they would go on an, almost like an autopilot, continue the trend from, uh, from this year of increasing auction sizes, uh, partially because the, the proportion of tips as outstanding marketable debt dwindled a lot after the COVID related expenses, but also uh, now it, you know, a little bit in hindsight, we can see why the treasury would want to stop with tapering about to commence, liquidity in the tips market not being great. And they probably want to gauge the market to see how it will develop. You know, if there's going to be any indigestion issues, if there's going to be uh, further kind of like any market dislocations in tips, and then see if demand remains uh, robust, go into taper, I don't see why not they could continue increasing auction sizes from there too. But that was really the, the crux of the refunding announcement. We started a round of cuts. The outlook around bills and debt ceiling is uh, is still uncertain, of course, because of debt ceiling. Sorry, I meant, the, I meant the, the TGA and bills is uncertain because of the debt ceiling. And uh, yeah, there's that's sort of it. Great, thank you, John. All right, over to Europe then to round up the trio of central banks, although I know we had the meeting last week, which we did go through on the pod, um, but we've obviously had relative 
relatively volatile rates since then. Let's start on the core side because after we recorded the pod last week, um, on the Friday, um, European markets went on to price in even more rate hikes than they already had in um, before the meeting on Thursday from the ECB. So whether the ECB intended to push back on, on market pricing or not, they obviously didn't do a very successful job of that. But some of that pricing has been pulled back now and we're pretty much back to where we were pre the meeting. Um, so what's your take on all of that, Giles? Do you think markets are right to be pricing that in still or is there further to go in, in pricing out those rate hikes? I think I was fairly clear before that, no, I don't think it's right. Um, I think that the, there's, there's a lot built into the front end which needs to be taken back out again. Um, you know, obviously, there was a little bit of disappointment uh, perhaps about the the way that Lagarde dealt with um, the, the, the discussion about the, the front end. I mean, you know, she could potentially have made some kind of effort to reformulate a little bit or um, you know, the, the, the nature of their, uh, their reaction function or possibly even hinted at measures to sort of address uh, volatility or you know, whatever it was. Now, none of that, none of that at all. She basically just said, listen, our reaction function, it is what it is. We don't think that inflation is going to be what you think it's going to be. And so we don't think that you're right, essentially, is what she said. And you know, so it's like, well, the market took that and went, well, okay, well, you know, we've been second guessing you. We're pretty happy about continuing to do that. If you're not going to push back any harder and it's just going to leave it down to what inflation turns out to be, that doesn't give us any security. So, you know, that that's where we were. That's why we sold off, I suppose, you know, a bit of a disappointment. And then we came back, as you say. I mean, you know, why? You know, I think partly because valuations have become stretched and you know, what I've been repeating again and again. Partly, I mean, there has been a little bit more of an effort since the meeting, as there often is, just to kind of, you know, even if the message is the same, just by virtue of repeating it, you kind of you know, stand at least a little bit of chance of getting a little extra traction. I think, you know, to a certain extent, that is what we've seen. I mean, we had uh, Lagarde yesterday, again, you know, just saying, we don't think that we're going to be raising rates in 2022. Well, frankly, we don't think they're going to be raising rates in 2022 and probably not in 2023 either. Uh, obviously, it's possible, right? But uh, no, that's sort of where we are. Yeah, I think it was interesting that she put kind of a specific time frame on it this time around versus when she, what she said in the meeting. Uh, and it's also kind of interesting that both her and Governor Bailey from the Bank of England have adopted this line of it not being their job to um, kind of push back on market pricing or, or guide market pricing. Um, some would argue that it is. But <laughs> there we go. So the other... Um, uh, kind of interesting or, or more volatile move that we've seen in European markets over the past week has been the shift wider and then all, you know, has given, again, given some of that back, but the shift wider initially in um, periphery spreads, I guess, led by BTPs. Um, what's your take on that? Do you think, um, you know, these wider spreads are justified or are they overdone now? You know, they have come back in a bit, but they're still obviously wider than, than where they started. Okay, I'm just before answering that question, I'm going to go back on what you were saying about the um, the, the job of central bankers and whether it's to to guide markets or not at the front end. Listen, up to a point, they're right, obviously, um, but 
Now, volatility is also something that, in general, particularly at delicate times like this, they want to try to avoid, right? And so knowing where the market is and you know, engaging with the market a little bit about that you know, can you know, help because otherwise you essentially you, know, you, you risk storing up bigger moves down the line. And you know, the ECB became quite good at that with, uh, with Draghi and Pret, and you know, it seems like they have lost that knack a little bit, let's just say. Um, on, on Italy, yeah, I mean, we, we sold off significantly, um, you know, largely because, well, because Lagarde was, you know, I mean, she was fairly forthright in her expectation about uh, the PEP being likely to, uh, to, to end in, uh, in March next year. And you know, that arguably isn't particularly news. Nonetheless, there could have been more about what was going to take over from, from there, um, you know, because obviously everyone has that as uh, a potential risk in mind for, for BTPs, especially because you know, so much is disappearing into the bank, uh, bank the Bank of Italia, into the euro system. That you know, when that steps back, obviously somebody has to has to step up to fill that, but you know, they're not going to necessarily want to do that at the same level that the, uh, that the euro system uh, is, is going to. And so, you know, I think as we move towards that, unless there is uh, a clearer guidance that there's going to be you know, something reasonably substantial to, um, to sort of soften that, that step risk uh, in, in, in March, then you know, we're going to look increasingly towards that. And this is something, this is a, this year's theme, right? This is something that, that, that I think is likely to build into the CB in December. This isn't a Q1 story necessarily. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, without the right guidance, we clearly do risk um, BTP spreads widening, particular, and, and at the same time as rates uh, are heading higher. And so, um, no, you have just written a note about um, about the high beta of, of BTPs, and I think that that is, is, is spot on. You know, against that, of course, we have all the positive stories that we have mentioned again and again. You know, so debt sustainability actually looks pretty good. The average rate of interest that Italy is paying on its debt is continuing to fall and will continue to fall for quite some time, even if rates rise from here, because... No, so much of that debt was incurred when rates were significantly higher than they are now. Um, a lot of it is held by the euro system anyway, and that's gone for the long term. Now, so all of these things, no, they're pretty supportive, and those aren't going to change. The other thing to say um, is it's, it's, it's always, I think, just useful to bear in mind what markets are actually implying for a sort of Italy default leaving the euro area type situation and at the moment over 10 years they are effectively pricing in around 15 percent probability okay go away and think about that you know i think that, that is i think that's pretty high given where we given the starting point um over 30 years we're talking about 50 percent in fact you know, arguably more and now that is based for those who like the, te the, the technical kind of uh, assumptions that's based on a pretty low recovery um, in that in, in a default scenario if the recovery is higher say something like 40 percent which is a sort of standard credit assumption you're 
your your probabilities for are significantly higher than those that I've just said. Okay, so so that's kind of your 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 benchmark. I think you're still being paid for anything, to be honest with you. I agree. <laughs> and a little bit of self-promotion there for anyone that is interested in, in uh, delving deeper into all these things that Giles did mention. If you are subscribed to uh, Agile Markets uh, portal, then you'll be able to see um, the note that I have just written on all of that. All right, then, guys, I think that's probably all we've got time for today. So thank you, everyone, for joining me. And just a reminder to our listeners, that if you like today's episode, don't forget to hit the like button and press subscribe so you get our latest episodes as soon as they're available. Chat next week.